Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Hey, Top Docs Radio listeners, it's CW, and do you deal with a high level of anxiety on a daily basis, whether it's at work, at home, dealing with the kids, friendships, traffic, like I do? You're going to want to meet Peter Vajda. He's a certified professional coach and an expert in mindfulness and meditation, and for over 30 years, Peter's been working with professionals and individuals who want to have a lower level of anxiety in their daily lives, who want to be better able to handle conflict and stressful situations with objectivity without getting all stressed out. Coming up, Peter's going to talk about his own experience as a cancer patient dealing with prostate cancer and how he was able to apply these techniques in his own life and deal with those situations much more effectively. Check it out. Well, I had my prostate cancer. I would go into the, the first month uh, during radiation, I would go into the doctor's office for a checkup. I would see the signs on the wall about pain. Where's your pain on what level, yeah. one to 10? And I'd go into a panic. <laughs> and I would smell some of the chemicals around the office, chemical medication. And right. that, would, that would also bring me into a tailspin. And I'd see some of the doctors walking around with their charts, thinking, oh, my God, you know, what's my chart going to say? And I would spend, and I had been doing mindfulness for a long time, but, you know, the cancer was new. And I could see mindfulness allowed me to be aware of, I see where my thoughts are going now. I can, I can, I can track my reactivity. I can track what's going on in my body, how my, my breath is becoming shallow, my heart rate is increasing, my shoulders are so tense. And as I practice mindfulness, practice mindfulness, practice mindfulness, I was able to observe myself being reactive. And that, over time, allowed me to step back and say, okay, I'm being reactive right now. I'll just take a breath. Uh, I'm seeing that chart. I'm creating a story about that chart. I'll just take a breath and be with it. And not get caught up, not get caught up in the story about the chart or the pain chart or the smells of the, the aromas of the chemical medication or seeing other people who were worse off than I was. Is that my fate? Absolutely. And I could just, I could be there without getting caught up in a story, the past or the future. And mindfulness allows you to be, again, with that experience in a way that there's no judgment, there's no comparison contrast. And if you allow it to be without fighting it, it will dissipate nine times out of 10. When it dissipates, again, you see the impermanence of things. You don't need to go into the tank about this pain or that pain. Maybe the cancer is, is recurring, but you're saving yourself a tremendous amount of stress, by saving yourself a tremendous amount of ne negative emotions that wear and tear on the mind and the body. And as for how to deal with anger, check out Peter's recommendations for being responsive versus reactive. So how many people do you know who are angry all the time and fighting the good fight all the time because they'd rather be right than happy? And that's a childhood belief. That's a childhood behavior that they've never processed, and they go through life fighting the good fight nonstop. And you talked about a choice. I just wanted to mention something. Viktor Frankl, you know Viktor Frankl? I know the uh, name, yeah. Uh, he wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning. He was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist, and he was in uh, the concentration camps. Oh, yeah. And he said that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. It's a choice point. It's a choice point. So when we're triggered by the twinge, by the chart on the wall, by somebody we see in an office, by a doc, by anything, when we're triggered, if we can take that breath and just allow ourselves that two or three seconds to choose how we want to respond, that's where our freedom is, that's where our, our growth is. 99% of our behavior on the planet for most people is reactive, knee-jerk reactive. If you go through your day today and you just look at all of your actions today, your doings, your beings, your havings, from the moment you got up, just see how many of them were reactive. Your thoughts, your beliefs, what you said, what you did were reactions to what was going on. And one of the beauties of mindfulness is it allows you to dwell in that space between the trigger and the response and say, okay, 
you don't go through this dialogue, but you know, it becomes uh, I do matter. sometimes, yeah. quite honestly. How do yeah. I choose to respond? Yes. How I do this, you know, when people annoy me in a store or people right. annoy me on the road, I'm sitting there saying, how do I choose to respond? And there are times I say, you know, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'm going to get angry. <laughs> and I get angry. But that's the choice. It's not yes. a reaction. But mindfulness helps us to become less reactive, more responsive, and less, really, really less judgmental about what's going on. Be sure and stick around for the full interview coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's your host here on Top Docs Radio, C.W. Hall, joining you today. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again this afternoon. We've been listened to here on the Top Docs Radio show from somewhere around 50 countries around the world and almost 50 states. Come on, Vermont. You guys got to get on board up there. For whatever reason, nobody from Vermont has listened to us, but just about everyone else has. So we're really excited to have you checking us out today. Over the time uh, that we've been doing the show here this past year, I've had the opportunity to meet and introduce you to a number of of the Atlanta area's top providers that treat patients that are facing a variety of serious diseases like cancer, heart disease, and others, and clearly uh, cancer being one that many, many people are interested in. It affects a good number of us from one perspective or another, either as a patient or as a loved one uh, providing care and support to somebody dealing with cancer. And today's show is going to be another one of those. One of the guests that we had on a few months ago had the opportunity to meet the team over at the Georgia Corps and GeorgiaCancerInfo.org, and clearly their resource that's designed to help the folks in the Georgia area learn more about the resources that are available to them in cancer support, whether it's treatment facilities or research that they might be able to get themselves involved in clinical trials, for example. Georgia Cancer Info and Alice Kerber introduced me to today's guest. Peter Vajda, he's a PhD in education and cognitive psychology, and after sitting down with him for a couple of hours a few weeks ago, I would describe Peter as an astute observer of the human condition, and he's clearly passionate about the field of mind, body, spirit, integrative functioning, and development. We talked about the fact that he enjoys supporting individuals and groups, enhancing their understanding how they can live consciously from the inside out, supporting the individual's ability to change, grow, and evolve. He also helps individuals be better able to handle conflict more objectively and with less emotion and intensity, clearly that's going to help you in your daily life at work as well as in your personal life on a daily basis. So, Peter, I know you're a busy guy, so thanks so much for taking some time to sit down with me in the studio today, man. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So if you would, give us the, as you said, you, you described it as a short story, though I'm sure there's probably more to it than what you put out there, but give me some of your background. How did you get into helping people through professional coaching and then evolving into focusing heavily on mindfulness and, and those types of approaches to reducing stress as well as improving your state of wellness? So now it can be a long story. There you go. <laughs> I spent most of my life in education, teaching on the college level and teaching at the community college level. And in 1970, uh, 1979, I left the university where I was teaching and moved out to the end of Long Island and decided that teaching in the classroom, I had enough and I wanted to move on. So at the time I was married and I was doing some coaching at the, I didn't know it was coaching uh, back in 79, but I was supporting people to grow and learn and develop and become better yous, uh, <laughs> as, as I like to, it's the title of my new book, but yeah. becoming a better you. And so one day my wife at the time read an article in New Age magazine about coaching. And she said, hey, this sounds a lot like what you're doing. Long story short, I signed up for a coaching program and studied for two years and was certified as, as a professional coach in 1989, 1990. And since then, I've been doing work in the corporate level, the individual level, supporting people to learn, to grow, develop, to become a better you in various aspects of their lives, at work, at home, at play, and in relationships. And around 1993, I sort of went through a midlife crisis and began to do some deep personal work. And part of the personal work was an experience in learning about meditation and mindfulness and visualization to help me center myself and get grounded and gain a different perspective on who I am and how I am and where I was going. And so I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation and visualization for 20 years on and off. And I use these techniques with my uh, clients, not just in the health area, but in career and in relationship, as I said, in finances and whatever it happened to be, just to help them become centered and grounded and come from a place of objectivity in terms of how they respond to life and, and, and uh, life situations. So a little while ago, I, I've been teaching a course, a class called Yo Chi Ah at a senior center in Sandy Springs. It's yoga, tai chi, 
uh, visualization, stretching, breathing, a whole host of things. And one of the participants in the class a while back is a member of St. Joseph's Cancer Survivors Network. Mm -hmm. The Cancer Survivor Network decided they were going to do a program called MED, M-E-D, Meditation uh, diet and exercise. And she said, you'd be great for the meditation piece. So one thing led to another, and they said, do you want to do the meditation piece? And I said, sure. And so I put together this presentation where I included mindfulness. It's called Mindfulness Meditation Visualization, Finding Peace While Living with Cancer. And that's how it started. So I've been talking to groups from uh, all over about, about mindfulness and meditation and visualization and how it can support one to deal with cancer. It can support one to deal with any of life's challenges, but in this particular realm, this particular uh, scene, it's, it's cancer folks. So. Now, as it relates to the professional person out there that links up with someone with your expertise as a certified professional coach, what do you what do you focus on? Or is there a set of things that you focus on as it relates to being a better you? And then we'll kind of tie that into our health side of things. Being a better you is all about owning, owning your orientation to the world, more so owning your reactivity to the world. So in order to become a better you, you need to look at what gets in the way of being a better you, your thoughts, your behaviors, your beliefs, your assumptions, your expectations, and your stories. And so people can become very defensive mm-hmm. when they have to think about changing the assumptions and their beliefs and their expectations and so on. And one way to get them to a place where they can be more objective and see themselves more objectively is through use of mindfulness practice and meditation practice and visualization work. So if I say this, this and this happened when I was younger, or this and this happened last week, whatever the case may be right. in my history, and it hurt really bad. Right. That's why I act like this today. It's not very effective thinking, it sounds like. It's not just because you're a jerk, right? <laughs> <laughs> Presuming that I'm not just inherently a jerk. Well, yeah. I mean, there's one way of looking at it is that was then, this is now. And so what happens from a psychological process is 99% of our behavior is a learned behavior, and much of our reactivity to what we experience in our lives is an overlay of the past that we put on the present. Yes. And so with mindfulness work and meditation, it can help you be in the present moment, right here, right now, with no past, no future, no stories, and then see what you see experience your experience with all your senses and see what comes to you in terms of what am I thinking, what am I feeling, but it's here, right here, and right now. It's not some repetition of the past, some, not, not some overlay of the past that you're putting on the present and defining the present by your past. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm. but uh, You know, I, I think even before I ever really considered mindfulness, and, and uh, I've realized as I sat down with you recently and and had our conversation that I was practicing mindfulness. I just didn't realize I was practicing mindfulness. Right. I kind of stumbled into it through, just like you described, some situations and things that made me rethink, how did I get to this place and why do I have so much anxiety? Talk about that because I think that some people perceive the, the notion of mindfulness and meditation as kind of new wave. It's, yeah, it's, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's, it's not, yeah. it's some, some, somehow off the beaten path some way and that's not for me, but the reality of it is, I, I, I can't imagine very many people who would be listening to us today, whether they're a physician or whether they're a patient or a loved one of a patient who enjoys having anxiety in their everyday. Yeah, that's a great question. And I was thinking about it on the way over. First of all, folks who characterize mindfulness as new agey, soft, spiritual, fluffy, and all of that, yeah. they need to understand that those terms are defensive. In other words, there's something about mindfulness, something about meditation that makes them uncomfortable. In order to justify their discomfort, they need to push back. And the way that they, they push back, consciously or unconsciously, is by choosing terms that are in the pejorative. Rather than say, mindfulness, hmm, that might be a curious experience. Mindfulness, oh, that might be something different to, to think about. And just be open to it without making it good or bad, right or wrong, just to be curious about it without judgment. The other piece of that is more and more today, the neurobiologists, the psychobiologists are jumping on board the mindfulness train with the notion of it's not about nirvana. It's not about enlightenment. It's about being able to focus. It has to do with the neuroplasticity of the brain, creating new neurons, creating new habits, creating new ways of being that are not influenced by the past. And through focusing exercises, through mindfulness exercises, what you do is you get, again, to respond to what your experience is right now. That is thinking, reflecting, 
sensing your body, seeing what's going on, and having a response to, to what is happening right now rather than reacting, which is doing without thinking. So in all the work, I had a very difficult time early on in my coaching career getting into the corporate world because they thought what I was doing was spiritual. Right. And it was a big turnoff. But now I approach it from the perspective of science. And it's just it's a smooth transition. If I can help you focus more, if I can focus on you being present with your experience more, without allowing reactivity to get in the way, without allowing the old stories to get in the way, old expectations, old assumptions, old hurt, old pain, old wounding to get in the way and see what that's like, then what's not to like about it? So it's not so much about being spiritual and airy-fairy and, and new age. It's about getting your brain to work for you so that you can be present right here and right now, and chances are without reactivity in a more responsive, in a way that is more reflective, more insightful. You gain greater awareness and just see where you are in the moment and then go on from there. What's the process like for helping someone transition from that pattern of thinking that creates that holding the the past events, those events that have shaped these attitudes, these things that make me want to react to this current situation in a typically higher intensity way. Talk about it in the professional arena where maybe I'm not a very effective leader because I react with greater intensity and emotion in a situation that really doesn't require it. Why? Because some kind of event or thoughts from times past have influenced me now into this moment. How do you make someone transition? Because I'm sure that, and I know I did initially when I started trying to change the way I thought, it's hard to let go of that clutching to that pain, if you will, that insult that's got me thinking this way. Yeah, so I, when I speak about, I'm not a psychologist. I use a lot of psychological tools in my work, but I'm not a psychologist. But there's a couple of things that I do. One, if I'm working with a, with a client and the client is reactive in a state of anger, one of the first things I'll ask the client to do is just to be with your anger. So we become curious about it. So, for example, I might say, well, what do you feel the anger in your body? And the client might say, well, I, I feel it in my chest or I feel it in the tenses in my neck. And I'll say, can you stay with that for a little while and just see what that's like? And the client will say, okay. And over time, that client will be able to be with that energy. So all it is is energy, which we interpret, but it's energy. And if you stay with that and allow it to be, and I might say, well, does it have a color or does it have a texture? And is it heavy? Is it light? And just keep the client curious about what that experience is. Nine times out of 10, that energy will dissipate. Not only will it dissipate, but the client will see that there's a fleeting nature impermanence to everything. The holding on, the glomming on to the anger is that attempt to feel safe and secure. So I stay with my anger, I stay with my anger, I stay with my anger. But there's another side to that. And the other side to that is, well, who are you when you don't have your anger? So as you sit here, when you talk about the conflict that you had with your colleague this morning, and we process the anger, we process the anger and talk about it, be curious about it, chances are you'll come to a place where in your mind you can relive that conflict, but the charge isn't there, the anger isn't there. You're much more in a state of equanimity. You're much more in a state of harmony. You're much more in a state of balance. And from that place, you can sort of relook at that situation and when you relook at that situation, you might say, hmm, I could have done this, or I could have behaved that way. I didn't have to be that reactive. And you can see where the anger of the past is what caused you to react the way that you did this morning. The more you work with this, and you do breathing exercises, for example, uh, visualization exercises, for example, you can be with that person again in another, another situation, but you're grounded. You're not reactive. You see that person in, in a total different context rather than the history of your past and, and, and that kind of thing. It seems to me that, at least in my own personal experience, that as much as anything, anger tends to be a defensive mechanism, trying to protect myself from vulnerabilities, more so in the past than, than now, I think. And so therefore, 
being in a place now today as a as an individual from moment to moment where I'm rarely angry, being okay with the vulnerability that comes from just being okay, as you described, where I'm just experiencing maybe a conflict, but not feel the measure of anxiety that I would feel before uh, being comfortable with that level of vulnerability that I'm here, I'm, I'm not agreeing with what's happening, but right. uh, I'm okay with that. I know from my own experience that you can certainly get to where you're able to do, you, you talk about reflecting on what happened this morning with the colleague, but with practice, you're actually able to get it down to where it's it's real time. It's in this moment, you said something just now that really aggravated me. I can actually do that kind of reflective process like that and and react without high levels of energy and anxiety. Every negative emotion, most psychologists will say, is a childhood emotion that's not been processed. Most, I don't know how your listeners will respond to this or react to this as the case may be, but 95% of adults are four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds in adult bodies wearing adult clothes emotionally. I believe that. Grow up. Stop acting like a child. Where do those expressions come from? Because we've had those emotions... We internalized and we were programmed with that reactivity when we were young, but we never learned to process it. So we overlay it on our friends in college. We overlay it on our friends when we first go into work. We overlay, overlay it on our bosses, our spouses, our partners, the neighbor, neighbor next door, because that's who I take myself to be. So part of the mindfulness, one of the beauties of the mindfulness experience is that you can be with your immediate experience right here, right now, without making it good or bad, right or wrong. It just is what it is. And when you come from that place, then when your neocortex, the logical, rational, uh, executive function of the brain kicks in, it's kicking in as an adult, not as a reactive four or five or six-year-old. So that's why I said before, CW, that if we did some mindfulness work, for example, on about the conflict you had this morning, and we worked and did some breathing, and we worked and did some breathing, and you're sort of able to step out of your reactive self, then when you reflect on that conflict you had this morning and your neocortex kicks in, the logic and the executive functioning, it's much more adult in terms of how you perceive that situation. Does it mean that you might not, you won't get angry? No, but the anger is a different kind of anger. I like to make the distinction between I can have my anger, I can be my anger. So the reactive person is always being angry. So I can feel right now, I can feel in my body right now that I'm getting angry. How do you know when you're getting a cold? You get the sniffles and your eyes. Well, I can tell when I'm getting angry. But because I've done the work on myself that I've done, I don't need to let that anger process. I can step back and say, give me five minutes. And I don't have to amp it up. Yeah, I don't have to amp. I don't have to save and protect protect myself and to feel safe and secure and all of that. So I may say, give me a time out. Or can we talk about this in an hour when I've had a chance to do some more breathing, some more centering, some more grounding so that I'm at Uh, in a state of equanimity and harmony and balance with myself, and then approach you to work on the next steps about that conflict. We're talking with Peter Vajda, certified professional coach and a PhD in education and cognitive psychology, who spends a lot of time helping people, as we've been discussing here for the past few minutes, getting to know more about what we're talking about when we talk about mindfulness and being centered and trying to reduce the level of anxiety that we feel on a moment-to-moment basis in our professional lives and our personal lives. But as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, the way I became familiar with Peter was being introduced to him through the folks that are at Georgia Corps and helping cancer survivors, for example, deal with their disease process uh, with a greater level of anxiety, a little bit more of a sense of control in their situation and that sort of thing. Let's try to start to apply what we're talking about here as it might relate to, say, a professional client that you're dealing with who wants to be a better self at work or a better self at home to how does this help me if I have cancer? How does this help me if I have heart disease? How how does it help me if I'm the caregiver of one of those people? Mm -hmm. So we'll dispense with your anger for now. Okay, I'm not angry anymore. (laughs) I'll, I'll come back to that in a few minutes. Okay. More and more in the research today, we're reading about the use of complementary alternative and integrative techniques yeah. to support cancer survivors and caregivers and support staff. The research now is talking about the use of chiropractic and osteopathy and yoga and acupuncture as ways to treat cancer. Well, because I'm interested in mindfulness and meditation and visualization, I've done research on the areas, uh, those areas and what 
how they play out in supporting the health and well-being of cancer patients. I want to go back to mindfulness for a minute and just explain that, again, mindfulness is intentionally bringing your awareness to the moment, where you are in the moment, with an attitude of openness and curiosity. No preconceived ideas, no past, no future, no history. And catching ourselves on automatic pilot when we become reactive. Cancer is very demanding on the body. Cancer is very demanding on the mind. So the aim of mindfulness process is to help us learn ways to calm our mind so that we can better focus on negative thoughts and negative emotions. Intentional awareness in the present moment helps us keep our heart open and to experience what we're experiencing in the quote-unquote cancer realm from a place of objectivity, moving into a place of equanimity, balance, harmony, peace, and calm. I'll give you a case study. John is a man in his 50s. He's got a history of colorectal cancer. And before he started mindfulness practice, he would get caught up in a quandary and a tailspin when he felt a twinge. So he went into these stories about what the twinge was all about. One of the major challenges with cancer folks and anybody with a sickness, illness, and disease is the notion of recurrence. It's coming back. It's right. getting worse. It's coming back and getting, it's getting worse. So he'd go into this tailspin. His life would flash before his eyes. It flashed before his mind. His body would tense up. He could feel his neck tense up. His, his chest would contract. His heart rate would increase. His breathing would become shallow. You know, he thought it was all over. Here we go again. So he learned mindfulness. He went to a six-month practice uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic and practiced mindfulness in this study practice mindfulness at home, breathing techniques and mindfulness meditation, visualization at home every day for six months, eight months, nine months, whatever the length of the study was, which I forget. So as he was going through this practice, when he noticed a twinge, what he would do is he would recenter himself by breathing. He would take a deep breath, count to three, exhale, count to three, inhale, count to three, exhale, count to three. What that allowed him to do was sort of almost step back from the experience of the twinge. He felt more relaxed, he felt more grounded, he felt more in control, and then he recognized how irrational his thoughts were. He wasn't on autopilot. This is worse, this is bad, this is getting worse, my God, I'm gonna die, all of that. And he, then he found out, discovered that these thoughts were really ir irrational. These thoughts come, these thoughts go. You don't need to land in them and then... Roll around it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So he gradually brought his attention to the area of the pain, and he noticed that the sensations, the, the throbbing, were not constant. They were impermanent. They came and they went, they came and they went. And he was surprised. He was actually surprised and relieved that the, that the uh, experience was not as scary or uncomfortable as he thought. That's an example of mindfulness practice. When I had my prostate cancer, I would go into the, the first month uh, during radiation, I would go into the doctor's office for a checkup. I would see the signs on the wall about pain. Where's your pain on what level, yeah. 1 to 10? And I'd go into a panic. <laughs> and I would smell some of the chemicals around the office, chemical medication. And right. that, would, that would also bring me into a tailspin. And I'd see some of the doctors walking around with their charts, thinking, oh, my God, you know, what's my chart going to say? And I would spend, and I had been doing mindfulness for a long time, but, you know, the cancer was new. And I could see mindfulness allowed me to be aware of, I see where my thoughts are going now. I can, I can, I can track my reactivity. I can track what's going on in my body, how my, my breath is becoming shallow, my heart rate is increasing, my shoulders are so tense. And as I practiced mindfulness, practiced mindfulness, practiced mindfulness, I was able to observe myself being reactive. And that, over time, allowed me to step back and say, okay, I'm being reactive right now. I'll just take a breath. Uh, I'm seeing that chart. I'm creating a story about that chart. I'll just take a breath and be with it. And not get caught up, not get caught up in the story about the chart or the pain chart or the smells of the, the aromas of the chemical medication or seeing other people who were worse off than I was. Is that my fate? Absolutely. And I could just, I could be there without getting caught up in a story, the past or the future. And mindfulness allows you to be, again, with that experience in a way that there's no judgment, there's no comparison contrast. And if you allow it to be without fighting it, it will dissipate nine times out of 10. When it dissipates, again, you see the impermanence of things. You don't need to go into the tank about this pain or that pain. Maybe the cancer is, is recurring, but you're saving yourself a tremendous amount of stress, by saving yourself a tremendous amount of ne negative emotions that wear and tear on the mind and the body. 
And when they wear and tear on the mind and the body, that affects your immune system. When it affects your immune system, you're opening the door to disease and disequilibrium, mentally, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Again, the, one of the purposes of mindfulness is not to engage in the experience, to see the experience from a distance, observe yourself, watch yourself, track yourself, and just be curious and see what happens. As it relates to mindfulness, it's being aware of what's happening, trying to keep the grown-up, if you will, in charge of the assessment of whatever the situation is. This is happening. Maybe there's some conflict involved. Maybe there's not. But being able to really more or less observe without emotion or for lack of, a, you know, maybe emotion, but also judgment per se. Judgment. And the end result of that mindfulness being a more objective response, if it is a conflict type situation, so that uh, I can keep the temperatures down. I don't necessarily inspire the other person to elevate their level of intensity and so forth. And as it relates to my disease state, if you will, or my state, if, I, if I'm not facing a, a disease today, my state of wellness through being mindful, I can hold off anxiety, it sounds like. That's kind of one of the key components. Again, mindfulness is being right here, right now. So when you have that experience, you don't compare it to yesterday, the last week, or the week before. You don't think about what it's going to be like tomorrow. You're with it right here and right now. If there's anxiety, you allow the anxiety. You don't try to quash it. You don't try to make it go away. You don't try to explain it away because you're doing that with a logical, rational mind that's being triggered by the emotional mind. It's not going to work. So you allow the anxiety. You be curious about it. So I'm, again, I'm feeling all this, this shakiness in my body. I'm feeling this shakiness in my arms and my legs are moving uncontrollably. Uncontrollable. Just observe it. Watch it. Describe it and track it. Just follow it, follow it, follow it. And again, chances are nine times out of ten, it will dissipate. What will come in to replace that is probably some sense of your mature, emotional adult self, self-love or self-compassion or some release of some kind, emotional release, and an okayness with, with what's going on rather than, oh, my God, when is it going to go away and how, how intense is it going to be and is, is it going to come back again tonight and... Again, mindfulness practice is not something you do at 9 o'clock Monday morning, and at 10 o'clock Monday morning, you're done. You got it, right? So you, it's, it's a process. It's a long, long, intensive process, but it works. In order to practice mindfulness effectively or even honestly, you need to allow what's happening in the moment without trying to change anything. You don't want to change anything. Thing, because of the impermanence of everything, things will change automatically, you don't need to make anything change. Well, clearly that's, I'm sure, for many of our folks listening today, that's kind of a baffling thought. Because I know for me, if I rewound a few years, it was certainly a baffling thought for me. I remember when I first moved to Atlanta, I came from Oklahoma City, which is, you know, it's it's not really a large city, maybe a few hundred thousand people there. So, you know, dealing with real traffic and things like that, didn't really have to do that too much there. Um, it was a aberrancy if you ever did. Mm -hmm. I got here... There were life stressors and, oh, by the way, absolutely atrocious traffic, which my commute gloriously got to take me into the teeth of twice a day. And I thought it was going to be the end of me. It, it felt like, uh, I'm like, I, I don't know what this is doing in terms of uh, accelerating the end of my days, but <laughs> it's got to be doing something. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember asking a gentleman who was talking about similar concepts and, and uh, talking about the difference between attitudes and emotions, where emotions are in this moment, something is happening, they're here to protect me. I'm either, I either need to run away. I mean, something is threatening me in some form or fashion, mm -hmm. and they're momentary. And attitudes that we often describe as emotions, but they're really... Yesterday, you really made me mad, and today I'm still mad about it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. I, I knew at the time it didn't feel like a choice. It just felt like, well, what you did really, really bothered me, and it hurt really bad, and so that's why I'm still really upset about it today. So I said, how do you let go? How do you get rid of anger? I mean, if you're, you just feel yourself being angry all the time, how do you, how do you get rid of that? Because, I mean, this gentleman was one of the more peaceful feeling people and he described as he discussed kind of his story leading up to his own awakening if you will to these kinds of ideas his response to my question of how do you get rid of this anger he said well you just let it go <laughs> and and that that made me mad um 
So, so, so why did it make you mad? I'm like, come on, man. What do you mean just let it go? I mean, I'm mad for a reason. How, how, do, I, how do I let that go? The, the, the reason is real. And his reply was, you just let it go. So, so, so it's, it's good to see that because a lot of us like to hang on to our emotions because that's how we identify ourselves. You've heard the expression, maybe not, I'd rather be right than happy. How yes. many people do you know? Well, that's probably a true statement. Yeah. yeah. So how many people do you know who are angry all the time and fighting the good fight all the time because they'd rather be right than happy? And that's a childhood belief. That's a childhood behavior that they've never processed. And they go through life fighting the good fight nonstop. And you talked about a choice. I just wanted to mention something. Viktor Frankl, you know Viktor Frankl? I know the uh, name, yeah. Uh, he wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning. He was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist, and he was in uh, the concentration camps. Oh, yeah. And he said that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. It's a choice point. It's a choice point. So when we're triggered by the twinge, by the chart on the wall, by somebody we see in an office, by a doc, by anything. When we're triggered, if we can take that breath and just allow ourselves that two or three seconds to choose how we want to respond, that's where our freedom is. That's where our, our growth is. 99% of our behavior on the planet for most people is reactive, knee-jerk reactive. If you go through your day today and you just look at all of your actions today, your doings, your beings, your havings, from the moment you got up, just see how many of them were reactive. Your thoughts, your beliefs, what you said, what you did were reactions to what was going on. And one of the beauties of mindfulness is it allows you to dwell in that space between the trigger and the response and say, okay, you don't go through this dialogue, but, you know, it becomes uh, I automatic. I do sometimes, yeah. quite honestly. How do yeah. I choose to respond? Yes. How I do this, you know, when people annoy me in a store or people right. annoy me on the road, I'm sitting there saying, how do I choose to respond? And there are times I say, you know, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, I'm going to get angry, <laughs> and I get angry. But that's the choice. It's not yeah. a reaction. But mindfulness helps us to become less reactive, more responsive, and less, really, really less judgmental about and that, that, what's going on. That's the reason why I, I mentioned that story of, of mine talking about choosing to let go mm -hmm. of anger, mm -hmm. is that I guess that the analogy that I would put on that is how professional athletes, if you will, the speed of the game that they're playing, whatever game it is, is obviously faster and faster. They're, they're going against uber athletes who themselves are tremendous athletes. So things are going very, very fast that for a less skilled athlete would think overload. It's too fast. It, I can't keep up with the way things are going. And it seems to me that mindfulness is in a way, the more you practice it, the more professional you get, if you will, at controlling your choices. You slow the game down to the point where those momentary things, where normally the reaction to it, the stimulus you talk about, the trigger, is instantaneous. I'm, I'm angry now, immediately. Can now be delayed. Maybe it's a few milliseconds, but it's, yeah. uh, I mean, it's a lot is able to happen in there, dialogue-wise, inside. How, do I choose to go there? And... Okay, if I've chosen to go ahead and flip the guy the bird, do I stay in that place or do I retract and kind of reset and mm -hmm. you know rather than having that then continue on and revel around in it? That's for me how I would say that helps. And and the purpose yeah. of that, the importance of that, it would seem to me as it relates to disease states, cancer, heart disease, other things, is due to all of the physiologic responses that happen downstream from anxiety hormonal things. Absolutely. So can you talk about that at all? Or that's the value of trying to become more mindful, particularly if you're dealing with stressors in your life, like illness of some kind, or perhaps a loved one uh, of yours is dealing with some sort of chronic serious illness that's causing anxiety in your in your life. I, I know things like cortisol, for example, is one of those responses Absolutely. that's bad for you, but it raises when you have high levels of anxiety. But if you're continually raising your cortisol level, I mean, sooner or later, you're going to be in trouble. Mm. I mean, any dis-ease is going to cause pain or fatigue or discomfort to, to the individual. And emotional distress has a huge impact 
on, on the course of our illness. I mean, depression is shown to hasten the decline in cancer patients. It's shown to increase the risk of death. And as I said at the outset, depression really has a negative impact on the immune system. Anything that causes the immune system to begin to atrophy, you're just opening yourself up to, as, as I said, disease and illness and disequilibrium. It can be your actions, it can be your thoughts, it can be your beliefs, it can be your expectations, it can be your stories. If you're living in a realm of stress, then the obvious impact is going to be some kind of negative experience with respect to your immune system. Again, the purpose of mindfulness is to support us to come from a place of equanimity and free from anger, free from fear, Okayness, my favorite word, okayness, with whatever our experience is right here, right now, in the moment. Today, I mean, depression is, is, is rampant. Today, uh, anxiety is rampant. And just look at the health records of the amount of people who are sick and ill and diseased because of stress in the workplace and stress at home and, and medical stress and financial stress. I mean, we've got a lot of sick people walking around. I mean, physically sick people. Doesn't mean that if you're in a mindful place, things are going to get better, but at least you'll be able to cope much more positively with whatever is going on. And if you're able to cope much more effectively with what's going on, there's a good chance that from the logical and rational perspective, in terms of your response to what's going on, it may serve to create a healthier you emotionally and psychologically in, in those ways. Certified professional coach Peter Vajda and an expert in helping people find their center using the power of their mind and, and mindfulness to achieve a greater state of at least decreased anxiety, a greater sense of control in their life on a daily basis, whether they're trying to tackle issues in their work environment or home environment or dealing with the, the challenges that come with facing serious illness in their life, such as cancer and heart disease. And one of the things you've talked about a, a couple times mentioned in our conversation is meditation. Can you give some insight into why is that useful? How do you approach it? Essentially, meditation is supporting one to focus the mind in such a way that you're not distracted. I'll give you a mindfulness meditation. So again, if you breathe in for a count of three and breathe out for a kind of th count of three, and then just be curious about your contact with your chair. Sense your butt against the chair. Sense your feet on the floor. Sense the back of the chair against your, your back. Just notice what kinds of sensations that you're feeling and what words come to mind when you describe that, that experience. Maybe firm, maybe soft, maybe hard. Mindfulness meditation is allowing yourself to be free of distractions. So again, you're present right here, right now with the experience. When I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about sitting down for a half an hour or a day and gazing on your navel. <laughs> okay. All right. What I'm talking about is engaging in a practice, a breathing practice, for example, a breath practice, or you could focus on, focus on the leaves floating in a stream or you could watch the cars of a, of a freight train go by one by one by one just to notice them, just to notice them, just to notice them. You could watch the clouds in the sky, which is a very common one. Notice the clouds go by without getting into a judgmental place. So don't draw shapes with them. Just Yeah, don't see, see the, you know, the pig in the blanket and that, that <laughs> kind of thing with the clouds. I do this a lot, actually. There's a, there's a pond in Sandy Springs near Cox office buildings, and it's, it's one of the best-kept secrets. Uh, on the weekend, hardly anybody ever goes there. And I'll go there for Saturday and Sunday and do my meditation there on Saturday and Sunday. And oftentimes, I'll just sit there and look at the sky and watch the clouds in the sky. So I, I let my mind become the big sky. And what I'll do is I'll see a cloud and I'll say, hmm, that's a thought about uh, one of my cats. I'll look at another cloud and say, that's a thought about my mom who passed away in January. Mm -hmm. I'll look at another cloud and say, um, that's, that's a concern I have about my work and that kind of thing. And then I'll bring myself back to my breathing. So I'll breathe in for a count of three and breathe out for a count of three. I'll breathe in for a count of three and breathe out. And it could be longer or shorter. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But what I'm doing is not allowing distractions to get in the way, noticing distractions because everything is impermanent. They're mm -hmm. going to come. They're going to go. So I notice the clouds going by. And then when I notice myself noticing the clouds, I come back to my breath. Why do this? to be in a state of equanimity, 
to be in a state of mentally, mental and emotional, psychological balance, to be in a state of peace, to be in a state of calm, so that I can face my world that way from that place rather than from a place of reactivity. If I practice this type of meditation, hopefully not while I'm in traffic, where I'm aware but not aware, if you will, I mean, does it get to the place where it just enhances the state of being free from anxiety that we've been talking about for, for most of our discussion today? Does it does it begin to kind of create a calmness that, that extends past that period of time where I'm dedicating a few minutes or a few few moments to thinking that it depends like every like every question of that kind it depends on how long you practice meditation and how consistent you are in practicing meditation for example if you practice meditation once a week chances are no if you practice for an hour on saturday it's not probably not going to help you all that much if you practice meditation three minutes a day every day you'll begin to see a change in huh you know, that used to bug me a year ago. That used to really, really bother me. And when you would, when you would say that, that would really upset. And now, you know, it's not, it's not so much anymore. I can be with it. I can be okay with it without being reactive, judgmental, right, wrong, good or bad. The reason these things are called a practice is because you need to do them over and over <laughs> and over and over again. And people who practice meditation on a consistent basis will probably tell you, I'm much more at peace with, with myself. I'm much more at peace with the world. I'm much more accepting of the vicissitudes in my life. It doesn't mean you roll over and play dead, but it means you're much more adult about, mature about how you respond to life and, and not so much react to life. Becoming a better you, you, who you are versus who you think you are came out a couple of years ago. You want to talk about the book? We got a few minutes left here. Um, basically, the book is a journey, a personal journey through, for the reader, through change. And it has to do with your experiences in the world and tracking your reactions to your experiences in the world and being curious about why do, I, why do I react the way I do? Why do I react the way I do at work? Why do I react the way I do at home? Why do I react the way I do at play in the stores, wherever I happen to be? And it's a personal growth where you're constantly reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. Every chapter ends with questions for self-reflection. So it's not about learning about change. It's about how am I as, am I as I'm learning about change? What stories am I telling myself? What expectations do I have? What assumptions am I making? What misperceptions am I engaged in? What misunderstandings are running my life? And it's a constant practice of reflecting on why I am the way I am. If I'm unhappy, if I'm angry, if I'm sad... If I'm resistant, if I'm resentful, why is that so? And the, the ultimate challenge of the book is by the time you finish the book, hopefully you will never again blame it, her, them for any discomfort in your life. It's about owning your stuff. It's about being aware of your behavior, owning your behavior, and choosing if you want to change or not and not spend so much of your life blaming others for your, your upset and for your issues and for your challenges and so on, even blaming yourself. Where do I go to get it? Amazon.com. You can go to my website, which is www. And it's spelled just like it sounds, true, T-R-U-E, North, N-O-R-T-H, partner, in P-A-R-T-N-E-R-I-N-G.com, www.truenorthpartnering.com. And can I say one other thing? Oh, please, yeah. we got a, we got about four minutes left, so yeah. Another huge factor I just, I just wanted to touch on with respect to mindfulness and cancer is the experience of depression. And I just wanted to say that if you are one who's depressed or you know someone who's depressed, it's often the case that there are people in our lives or in their life who are constantly trying to fix them. You know, don't take it so hard. It's not all right, that bad. Yeah, oh, yeah. On and on and on. So if you go to my website, again, www.truenorthpartnering.com, and on the top, click on Articles. And when you click on Articles, go down to the category, Alphabetical, to Resources. There is an article called Depression, 20 Statements. And this is not my article. It's one that I, I downloaded and put on my website. And if you're one, again, who is experiencing depression or you know somebody who's experiencing depression, but you're constantly trying to get them out of it and fix them, read this article. And if it's you, give it to people you know around you to ask them to please honor you and not try to fix you. You're in, a, you're in a difficult place now, and chances are if you're depressed, you're not going to be able to use the neocortex to logically and rationally move out of it because you're stuck in the emotional brain. Yeah. So read these 20 statements and give them to people you know 
who are constantly trying to fix you and ask them to honor those, you request to read those and behave that way. And again, if you have a relative or a friend, a colleague who's depressed, give it to him or her and ask them to pass it on to people who are constantly trying to fix them and change them. It'll make a wealth of difference in their, in their lives. I just wanted to, to mention that. Again, it's on the website, under articles, under resources, depression, 20 statements. If somebody who's been listening believes that either through their personal life or their professional life, they want to link up with you and see if they can become more mindful and a little bit more centered, maybe experience a little bit less anxiety in their life. How do they do that in terms of getting tied in with you and your professional coaching services? Uh, you can email me. My email address is P as in Peter, V as in Victor, A, J, D as in David, A, pvajda at truenorthpartnering.com. And if you have any questions, any comments, something you heard that you're not clear on or you want some uh, clarification about, email me. I'll be happy to, to respond. And also, if you have not done so already, you've you've been listening to the show, find the information useful, and you think about what Peter has been talking about during the show today, and you come up with a question or questions, tweet them to me, send them to me via Twitter or on our Facebook page on the Top Docs Radio Facebook page. You can link up with us, and please do. I hope you do too, Peter, on social media at Top Docs on BRX, both on Twitter and on Facebook. We link in with all of our guests on the website. You'll be able to tie into Peter's website from the bio on the show's page after today when the podcast goes up. So, Peter Vajda, it was awesome. I enjoyed talking to you again today, just like I did the first time I got to sit down with you for a couple of hours. It was great. And uh, I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. I have a feeling that somebody out there listening today either got helped or they're giving it to somebody who uh, it will make a difference for. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. I always enjoy it. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate Alice Kerber over at GeorgiaCancerInfo.org introducing me to you. And if you are uh, a person that's experiencing cancer or one of your loved ones or someone you care about is, make sure you visit the GeorgiaCancerInfo.org website. There's all kinds of information there about clinical trials, about providers of direct care, about the complementary medicine uh, available out there. Uh, We're working with them to also get information up about uh, hyperbaric medicine as it relates to helping the cancer survivor who's dealing with the late effects of radiation. So lots of great information out there, and clearly they helped uh, bring us to Peter Vajda so that we can bring him to you. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today. We'll see you same time, same place next week. 